Hi, this is Joel Scrivener, pastor of Oaks Church in McKinney, Texas. And I wanted to say thank you so much for listening, sharing, and supporting our podcast. I know that today's message is going to inspire you, challenge you, and empower you to fearlessly follow Jesus like never before. Now, let's check out today's message.
<laughs> but she, uh, yeah, she, I mean, Abraham married his sister. Goodness, the fifth cousin's not that bad. So it, it's so good to be in Texas. Uh, we uh, started uh, college, Oral Roberts University. I have a degree in business. I work for Procter & Gamble. I was over $100 million of accounts in the Denver metro area. Then I would be called, I would be called to be a youth pastor. I was never in a youth group. Uh, we were raised Catholic, but really, really pathetic Catholics. We hardly went to mass. And, uh, but I went to Holy Cross Elementary, Central Catholic High, and, but then I would get saved. And I could tell you, if God can save me, he can save anyone. So I was in Denver and I was in my company car and the impression came to my mind you should be a youth pastor. And a friend of mine was telling me, you would be a great youth pastor. And I literally said, get behind me, Satan. You know, I didn't go to college to babysit someone's children. And so I became a youth pastor. In three months into being a youth pastor, that was 1985, coming up in about three weeks, it will be my 37th year being in full-time ministry. Thank you. And uh, after three months, honestly, of being a youth pastor, I realized why some animals eat their young. And so it's like, I'm out of here. And they, we had promised to take them to a youth conference in this, by this time, it was 1986. It was called Youth Alive. And I'll never forget this moment. I think today something like this is going to happen. This church is going to be known as a worshiping church. God does not seek music or worship. He seeks worshipers. And there's going to be healing, reciprocity, and really a renaissance that's going to begin to happen in Dallas. And I'll never forget this. I know the song. I'm not going to sing it. I can make a joyful noise. I want to win karaoke night at the Chinese restaurant in California soon. But... Uh, in the lyrics were this, I bow my knee before your throne. I know my life is not my own. I offer up a song of praise to bring you pleasure, Lord. In that moment, he impressed on my mind and heart. He spoke to me. God does speak. He still speaks. He said, you could go back into the business where I'll bless you and you become very affluent. But I've called you to shepherd the youth of this nation and touch the youth of the world. And from that moment to this present moment, I've been to about 60 nations, six continents, and I have seen the faces of the young people of this planet. And I stand before you, Oaks Church, the future of the Church of Jesus Christ is bright and brilliant because there's a generation that is following us that will live in the end of time and bring God's glory to this planet, amen? Uh, if you have your Bibles, go to the book of Daniel. I want to tell you something as you're turning there, what had happened to me right before COVID. Uh, what Pastor Joel was referring to, uh, I'm really, my wife is a people vampire. She really thrives. She gets her energy being with people. I'm not, believe it or not, I'm an introvert. I could be by myself. I'm totally happy. And I really am a modern monk. I've given myself to the practices of Jesus. Many people say I'm following Jesus. How can you follow Jesus if you don't follow the practices of Jesus? So really for 30, really 43 years, given myself to scripture, to prayer, and that's just who I am. So every year, this is my 43rd year of reading through the Bible. I'm now in the gospel of Luke. And every year at the beginning of the year, I get a journal 
and I get a verse for the year. So in 2019, this was before 2020, LSU won the national championship. They were going, I mean, they had not played in 2019, but 2020, uh, Joe Burrow go. Uh, Donald Trump was in the White House. Things seemed to be going right for the nation. And I was going to write my verse down that I had chosen. It was from Mark 9, where it says, all things are possible for them who believe. And so I was getting ready to write it in my new journal, all things are possible. And the spirit of God impressed on my mind. He said, that's not your scripture. I started laughing. I said, wait a minute. This is my Bible. This is my journal. I get to choose my scripture. He said, you could choose that. He said, but things are going to happen throughout the world in 2020 that will cause many to deconstruct their faith. He said, I want to teach you stillness, solitude, and silence. And I go, okay, then give me a verse. And he said, I mean, right then he said, be still and know that I am God. Because if you're not still, you'll never know. But if you are still, you will know. And I think the age that we're living in, we cannot go at church as usual. Not only Pastor Joel and Jennifer, not only the team, not only the worship. My goodness, the worship was off the charts. He said... And, and so I think it's no longer where just a pastor and their team is hearing God. I think the time has come in the day we live in that we all have ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to comprehend. And yes, the enemy's trying to come in like a flood. And there is a tension in the United States of America. And this summer, my wife and I spent the summer in Italy. Uh, nine miles out of Florence in the Tuscan Valley, and you could feel the tension even in Europe, and not just because of the war in Ukraine. And it, it is not just political parties that are fighting one another. They just shot down a weather balloon the size of three buses as China's come into our airspace. Young people, old people, we are living in a time that it is not business as usual. It's time where the church, where Revelation even says, whoever has ear with to, he, to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church, they will overcome. And let me tell you something, Joel and Jennifer were never created to be defeated. And at times they've had hell come against them. But can I say, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord will raise up a standard against him. We're here and we're stronger than that. Can you say amen? And we really, really believe that. So when we were in Italy, I, I had a vision kept passing through my mind and heart. And I want to begin to share what I saw in the vision because I believe that it's not only for me, for our church in Ventura, California. I actually think it's for the body of Christ in the United States of America and around the world. We are living in an unprecedented time. And can I say, as it gets darker, we shouldn't be shocked. In the end of time, it will get darker out there. But in here, it's going to get brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter till the perfect day. Can you say amen? Now, if you have your Bibles, I want to give you a precedent on uh, visions and dreams. It, and it, it's the language of the Holy Spirit, is visions and dreams. So if you do have your Bibles, I want you to go to the book of Daniel. And you can have a vision with your eyes open, and you can have it with your eyes shut. There's a difference between dreams and visions. 
Joel said, and Peter quoted him on the day of Pentecost over 2,000 years ago, these are the last days that Joel spoke about, that your young men, your young women will see visions, your elderly will begin to dream dreams. I can't believe it, but because I'm going to be 63 in March, I think I'm probably in the elderly category. I already, they're trying to send me my AARP card. Uh, when I go to the movies in two years, I'm getting a discount. You can better believe it. I'm, I'm going to use it. I'm going to slap that senior citizen card like a there. Yeah, that's me. Can I tell you, if you're 20 and you look good, that's nothing. When you look like this and you're 63, this is a miracle. Come on. And I definitely do not like it when people say, you're the new 50, the new 40. It's like, shut your mouth. I am the new 63. I'm showing you what you can be when you get old. Come on. And you say, well, you don't look like a granddad. Well, I am a granddad, and I'm reinventing being a granddad. And I love being a granddad. In fact, if I was a granddad first, I'd have never been a dad. Why? Because you give them sugar, you love them, and you give them back. Amen. That's beauty. That's the glory of God right there. And so, and so I even thought that was funny, so that, that's funny. But anyway, I believe that why when you get older, you, 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 dream, you, need, you stop dreaming because you start thinking, well, I'm going to be retiring. I need to pay off the mortgage. I need to do this. Can I say now's not that time. We are in a global war zone, but the good news is Jesus Christ, Joel's not building this church. Christ himself is building his church and the authority, the White House, the Senate, and the Congress, and the governors of hell will never overcome the church of Jesus Christ. This isn't a Texas thing. It's not a Baptist thing. It is a scripture thing. Amen. And we really do believe that. So visions and dreams are the language of the Holy Spirit. In America, hear me, I believe right now in the church, even in Dallas, uh, the church is at an intersection. And people that were at every conference that we esteemed, that we, they were on television or podcast or YouTube, in the last three years, they've fallen to the wayside. But there's a new group of people coming up that's going to begin to lead the church of Jesus Christ in this hour, and I personally think Joel and Jennifer in this church are a part of that. Now, I don't know about you, but usually women have a bad sense of direction and men have a good sense of direction. It's opposite with my wife and I. I, I defy MapQuest. Now, one of the things we argue, she go, babe, you're going the wrong way. No, 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 I know. I can submit. I'm the man. And she'll know you're going to, sure enough, 100% of the time, 36, 37 years of marriage, she's right, I go the wrong way. Even when my son Jude was about three, Becky was working at the hospital, we were going to eat at a friend's house, go, Daddy, you just went the wrong way. Can I say we have a tendency to go the wrong way? We need to hear from God right now, amen? And there is a voice behind us saying, oops, this is a way, live in it, walk in it. Let's go to Daniel, go to Daniel. And you'll like this, this is chapter 2, and we're going to begin to look at verse 28, and this is Nebuchadnezzar, and it says this, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mystery, meaning God making himself known. Mystery, I don't care where you went to school, it's outside our ability to comprehend. 
He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. Your dream and the vision. So there's a differentiation between dreams and vision. That passed through your mind. I want you to get, this is how it happened to me when I was in Italy. That passed through your mind as you were lying in bed or these. So you're in bed, it's either morning or it's evening, and a vision passes through your mind. And it happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Go to Daniel chapter 4. This is speaking of Daniel. Something very similar happened to him. Look at verse 13. In the vision I saw, get this, while lying in bed, I looked, and there before me was a holy one. I'm holy by the grace of Jesus Christ, a messenger coming from California, not heaven. So Daniel's lying in bed, and he has a vision. I'm just giving you some scriptural precedent to tell you what I saw, and it hasn't stopped. It keeps coming over and over again. Go to one last scripture. This is Habakkuk. And this is, in, I'm going to read from the message, paraphrase. Go to Habakkuk 2. What had happened, in fact, Pastor Joel, I give you a scripture from Habakkuk 1. God says to the prophet, nothing's known about this prophet Habakkuk. There's no background information. If he had a Facebook page, Habakkuk, prophet, know nothing about him. And it says he's just, he's a guy, he kind of complains to God in prayer. Then God speaks to him. Then he speaks to God and complains in prayer. Then God speaks to him. In chapter 1, you know what God said? Because Habakkuk said, Lord, look what all that's happening. And God says, even if it were told you, you wouldn't even believe what I'm going to do in your day. God is going to shock you for good. And then chapter 2, get this, Habakkuk says, and you're going to pick up in uh, these verses. But before he says, I will go to the rampart. Joel, that's a high place. God is calling you in this new season to a place of prayer. He says, I will go to the ramparts, which is a place really elevated beyond the above the chaos of culture. And you must know they were in a Babylonian culture, getting ready to be seized by a foreign power, which for Israel was unheard of, that they would come into their land. And he says, I will go to the ramparts. Now get this, to see what God will say to me. Well, normally you say, I'm going to go to the high place to hear what God is saying. That when you begin to come, and I, I feel this strongly, I didn't say it the first service, there's going to be a shift in all our hearts. I think we need to begin to give ourselves to prayer more than we have in the last five years. Because we are not fighting against governments and people and culture. There is an enemy. He's come in. He's trying to sow division, not only in our nation, but even into the church. But we're going to go up because the place of prayer, it's really unbelievable, the dimension of the Holy Spirit because you can hear but you also see what God is doing. He says, I will go to the high place to see what God is saying and then I want to read to you what God said to him. And God answered, write this, write what you see. Write it out in big block letters so that it can be read on the run. The vision message, and this is what I'm giving you, it's an unusual way to preach, I know it, but the vision message is a witness pointing to what's coming. I am pointing not only for you, myself, my family, to what I believe is beginning to happen, not only in the church in Texas, but the global body of Christ. And it says this, and I love it, pointing to what's coming, it 
aches for the coming. It can hardly wait. It does not lie. If it seems slow in the coming, wait. It's on his way. It will come right on time. Can you say amen? And, and so this is the vision that I had. I want that passed through my mind. I mean, it keeps coming through my mind. I saw this ancient, rugged, large Roman medieval castle. And not like the castle at Disney World or Disneyland where it, it's beautiful. I think in the days that have gone by from 1980, I would say even before the uh, pandemic church in our land, we tried to almost compete with Netflix and Hollywood, trying to make everything this perfect thing. And if we build this perfect church, then they will come almost like the Dreams movie, build it and they'll come. That's not true. If God builds it, they will come, okay? And, and so, but this castle was rugged and it had three medieval flags and these flags were huge. But there was a gentle breeze that were flowing because if there was no breeze, the flags would just be limp. They, they would just hang down. But if, and on the other hand, if the wind was violent, it was like a hurricane wind in Destin, Florida, then they, they would be just abused, violently blown where you couldn't even see it. And so when I saw these three flags, they had three different words on the flags, and I'm going to give that to you in a moment. But I knew instantly as I saw this castle, God said, this represents my kingdom. He said, my kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And when we think of kingdom, we must think first of God's rule, God's authority in the earth. And right now, it seems that God's kingdom is, in, is really not involved. That's not true. God's kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, meaning it never had a beginning. It will never have an end. Think of America. You have one administration rise and another one fall. One time the Republicans are in charge, then the next time the Democrats are in charge. God's kingdom is not up for election or opinion or how many influences give God two thumbs up. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and it will have no end. And in his kingdom is healing, is goodness, is light. But there is another kingdom. It is the kingdom of darkness. And that kingdom is not everlasting. That rule, that authority had a beginning, but that kingdom will have an end. I didn't say this the first service. There's someone here, either online or in this room, that the enemy in the kingdom of darkness is literally coming in and trying to destroy you. If you want this demonic assignment to end, how many of you ever have uh, milk in your refrigerator? And it has an expiration date. If you want the expiration date to come sooner than what's on the demonic assignment, you take that milk jug out of the refrigerator, put it in the heat of the sun, and it will expire soon. I feel like God telling me, the enemy has come, he's attacked you, but bring it into the heat of my truth, my reality, my life, and this assignment is over. It had a beginning, but now it has an end. The devil is on a short time. We are on on everlasting time. Give the Lord a shout and a hand clap. And so with this gentle breeze, I, I honestly knew, and let me just stop and say, Revelation, Handel's Messiah says it, the kingdoms of this world 
will become the kingdoms of our Lord, his Christ, our God, and we're going to reign. And so the kingdom of God is moving into the church in a supernatural way. I feel Joel and Jennifer, we're going to see miracles and healing like we've never seen. I believe God is saying, you know what? I'm going to back up my own name with my own authority. Jesus had authority over death. He had authority over gravity. He had authority over the devil. He had authority over the weather. Can I say it's time for us? We don't need any more preachers in America. We don't need another worship movement in America. We need authority of the Lordship of Jesus Christ to come and confront the America to come back to Christ. Can you say amen? Amen. Thank you for that golf clap. It really encourages me. Now listen to this. The kingdom of God is that castle, but I saw the gentle breeze. And God said, don't ask me to pour out my Holy Spirit. I'm already pouring out my Holy Spirit in America, in the world. And I saw it like a gentle breeze just going. You trust me, even in Dallas, there is going to be such an awakening and renaissance in this region. I believe it's going to go to the four corners of the United States of America. The Holy Spirit is already moving. Now, I want to give you the three words I saw in the three flags. Number one, you could write these three words down. It's good to be a note taker. If you're a young person, take notes. It's good. Text it to your ex and say, bam, read this. Okay, and so here we go. Number one, salvation. Salvation. Uh, Joel and Jennifer, as long as I've known him, don't come against him. He's a fighter. He would have fight nights and have almost 2,000 kids come, and they got to fight the pastor. I so wanted to be you. I wanted to have a fight night and just, come on. I I love being a youth pastor. I was an amazing youth pastor. We went from five kids to a thousand kids in Seattle. That's unbelievable. But you know what? I wanted to be Joel. Some of them had a devil. I just wanted to crack. Come on, I want a fight night right now. But he's an evangelist. Salvation is a mark of this church. This church isn't for the comfortable Christian. It is for Dallas to come and experience God's salvation. Amen? And that's the first word. The second word I saw on the second medieval flag was the word discipleship. And and really, God is not looking for just a believer. He's looking for disciples. He didn't say, go and make someone really cool and where people like them. No, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. And get this, and lo, I will be with you even to the end of the age. When we make disciples, and I kid you not, I felt God saying, I am going to reach the multitudes to the one. He said the church is trying to go big before she reaches one. I would have died for the one, and that's how I reached the world. So discipleship. And then the last word is sacraments. And we'll talk about each of those words. Sacraments of the church is where the the living, breathing part of God meshes. His divinity comes and meshes with our humanity. Okay, salvation. Uh, What's funny being a youth pastor, I think sometimes Protestants, Baptists, like we kind of think, why do Catholics baptize their babies? And, and we need a way. Well, sometimes Baptists do kind of something similar. Uh, they lead their child to Christ when they're two. They get baptized when they're three or four. They start serving the devil at a Christian school when they're about eight. 
But my God, once saved, always saved. And, and so I never, as a youth pastor, I never bought into that. So when our oldest son, he was about four, uh, we were living in Seattle. We sold all that we had. We moved to Seattle. And we had friends that had three boys. When you have three boys, no one wants to be your friend. <laughs> My kids would have burnt down Chili's restaurant, you know. Someone pulled the fire along the food ways, you know. And, and so the McKinney's had three boys. And so they led their boys to Christ in the womb. Oh, yeah, Jesse, Jerry, Jake, they accepted Christ in the womb. I thought, okay. And so, kid you not, everyone say salvation. salvation. Say it again. Salvation. Say it again. Salvation. So get this. His friend, Jude's best friend, came up to him. His name's Jesse. He called Jude Jah. He goes, Jah? You Christian? Kid you not, my Jude would go, nope. He goes, Jah, you go to hell. Jude goes, I don't care. I guess I go to hell. And all of a sudden, my wife would get upset. He's going to hell, my baby. I go, oh, stop. And I said, he's not going to go to hell. And then this friend, the mom goes, yo, you need to make him accept Christ. I go, I will not. I said, because what? why did Jesus come? What are we saved from? Well, you're saved from hell. That's No, 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 no. The angel who appeared to Mary and Joseph didn't say, you will name him Jesucristo. I speak a Spanish. He will save you from hell. He said, you will name him Jesus, and he will save his, please get this, he will save his people from their sin. I said to the woman, I said to my wife, I said, what is he being saved from? Is this what we're teaching the younger generation? Salvation is it? Oh, except Jesus. You're going to a really uncomfortable place. No. Jesus is the Savior, and he is saving Jude from Jude. Did you hear what I just said? He saves me from me. I mean, oh, I didn't become a sinner when I sinned. I sinned because I was a sinner. I was born that way. And you hear that mantra, oh, I'm just living my truth. Yeah, you're living your truth. And you're saying, oh, I just want to be me. Hey, I, you may have been born that way, but you could be born again another way. Don't look all Baptist up in here today. And so Jude would turn six. We'd go to Disneyland. And it's by the Pirates of the Caribbean. It's the Fantasmic Show on the lake. And it catches on fire. There's this big dragon. Mickey Mouse kills the dragon. And we're on the monorail going to the Disney Hotel. Jude goes, Dad, is there a hell? I go, yeah, and it's going to be hotter than that lake. He said, is there a devil? And I said, yeah, he's going to be bigger than that dragon. He said, Dad, who goes there? I said, those who do not trust Christ will go there. The next morning, I said, come on, boys, let's thank God he gave us this Disney trip. Jude starts crying. I'm talking about bullets coming out of the eyes. Becky says, my wife, who hurt my baby? I 
and no one heard him. This is conviction. Can I say, you will never repent unless you're convicted. And I'm wondering why a lot of millennials and Zs are deconstructing their faith on Instagram and all over from celebrity to the one on your street corner, not believing in God because maybe they never trusted God because they were not convicted that he was not here to save them from hell, but to save them from them. And Jesus isn't an option. If you want options, go get a Tesla. Jesus is the only hope for this world. Come on. And by the way, I'm not offended if someone's a Buddhist, a Muslim, a Shintoist. Have a go. Have a go. But I want to say something on the platform of spiritual gurus for the history of mankind. No one can stand on the stage and compare themselves with Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is 100% God and God would become a human being. It would be like you and I deciding to be an ant, that we would become a bug, that we could elevate the insect world. God didn't come just to forgive you of your stupidity or me of my sin. He came and became a man that this son of man may become a son of God and I could be elevated and really know a great salvation. Come on. I'm not trying to offend anyone. Isn't it amazing when we pray? From September 11th to this present moment, you can pray and use the name of uh, Buddha or Mohammed or the Pope. Go ahead. Try to use that one name, Jesus. Have you ever been in an elevator in L.A.? And someone starts cursing. Why do they always use the name of Jesus? I thought the next time you go, Jesus, mm, I'm going to go, Buddha, your mama. <laughs> Mohammed, you freak. No, why? Because Psalm says, if they don't praise me, even the cursings of men will praise me. Jesus Christ is the only God man. Therefore, he's the only savior. And yes, there are glimmers of light in every belief system. How though the full light is in the only one, Jesus Christ, and no other name has been given under heaven by which we can be saved. Amen. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Let's, okay, let's talk about this one. I love this. I want you to think about it. What are you saved from? You know, a lot of times people think we had something to do with salvation. I'm drowning, Lord, I'm drowning. Here's the life wrap. No, 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 no. You see, Ephesians 2 says this in verse 2. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. No, you weren't drowning. You were dead at the bottom of the ocean. He quickened you. He, you couldn't even respond. If you were saying, yeah, I found Jesus when I was two. Well, the only reason you did is he quickened you because dead people do not respond. Mm -hmm. Is that hunger noises or I'm getting it? How many of you watched Monday Night Football about a month ago? The Bengals, I love you, Joe Burrow. I wish you would have beat Kansas City. Remember, he's throwing a pass in DeMar Hamlin from the Bills. Tackles is hit by the, the receiver. He goes to the ground. He stands up. I've never seen this in my life. He falls down to the ground. 
And you knew by the look is on the, uh, their faces, the faces of the NFL football players, something's wrong. That guy died. They started crying. And all of a sudden, they said, and you've heard the report, he had a cardiac arrest, he had died, and they brought him back to life. You listen to me. Do you know who your God is? Do you know what salvation is? It's soteria. You know what it means? That you're whole in every part of your life. God didn't save us for us to come to church for an hour and a half on a Sunday, then go live any other way. No, I have been saved from me. In fact, AA says we're powerless. Yeah, I was powerless. I was dead. I needed to be resuscitated like Damar Hamlin. But the good news is it wasn't a medical professional. I was already in the tomb over four days. And like Lazarus of, oh, Lord, he stinketh. My sin was humiliating me and destroying me and making me less human. But one day when I was in a grave of my own, I was living, but yet I was dead. Jesus Christ, the only Savior of the world, came and quickened me and made me alive. And all of a sudden, I wanted to lift my hands. I wanted to worship. I wanted to read the Bible. Come on. Can you say amen? Say salvation. Okay, now the next word is discipleship. And discipleship isn't, oh, no, here we go. We have to go to a class on Sunday. No, 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 no. Discipleship simply means these two words, follow me. Say that with me. No, you got to do it with me. Watch the hand. Oh, you're good. You want to do it backwards? Uh huh. Me follow. My grandkids follow me all around the house. I love it. I said, they go, Jude, where are you going? They call me Jude. They call my wife BB. You know, and so they go, boys, I need to go use the bathroom. No, we want to come. I said, no, I need to go to the throne. You stay out here. They're always following me. No, get this. Follow me doesn't mean follow someone to a Sunday school class and leave that class and still be the same. Let me tell you what it meant 2,000 years ago. 2000, it's interesting today. Wow, Jude, 25 years as a youth pastor, and I would never change it. I was at a big ARC event in Las Vegas, Nevada. They had about 8,000 people at Judd Wilhelm Church, all these church plants. They asked me to get up. They had seven of us that were going to share for seven minutes. And when they introduced me, Joel, they, I didn't know any of the art people. The whole crowd started cheering. Dino Rizzo said, how do they know you? I started laughing. I said, it was all the youth camps, youth retreats, and youth conferences that I spoke. I think God calls some of them to be pastors. And that was the case. Now get this. I'm concerned about the education of the children that are Christians in America. 2,000 years ago, the number, come on, come on, come on, really? I'm believing God for a car, good, get one, but go deeper. I'm believing God for a bumper sticker, get three of them, go deeper. Let me tell you, 2,000 years ago, they prided themselves on one thing, the education of the Jewish mind. And so, 2,000 years ago, when a young Jewish boy reached the age of five, he would go to the, to the synagogue. The rabbi would begin to teach them the Torah, the most sacred part of Jewish scripture, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Follow me. Follow me. It means to follow me. Watch. If they memorize it when they went from 5 to about 10 or 11, the rabbi would come and say, follow me. Now watch this. 
What that word means is that you would follow that rabbi so closely that the dust of his shoes or sandals would be covered in the dust of the rabbi and that you would become just like that rabbi. Now, if you did well, then they would say, follow me. If you didn't do well, then they'd say, go home and work in your father's business. The next stage of learning from 10 to about 15 was questions, and it's enlightenment through questions. For example, in the Gospels, Jesus only answered two questions. Lord, why did this happen? What about my child? Why did I lose my job? He asked over 200 questions. Now, the first person to ask a question, catechism, but Sunday school was Satan. And let me tell you something. You say, well, I don't believe in discipleship. Well, let me tell you who does, the devil. And they're trying to disciple our children. They're trying to disciple them through phony questions and false questions. Who was the first one to bring a question? It was Satan. Did God really say? Then God had to come. Adam, where are you? And it wasn't that God didn't have the information. He knew that question would begin to awaken his son. Can I tell you the day and age we're living in, they're making them question everything from their score of their being to who they are. They're trying to make their parents irrelevant. The church is, should be out of business. Jesus is just a spiritual guru. No, no. He's the son of God. He's the son of man. He's fully God. He's 100% human. Come on. He has saved us. I want to become like Jesus. Can you say amen? amen. And so when he goes to Andrew and Peter, and they're working in their father's business, we could tell they didn't make it. They got a I'm sorry letter. Follow me is congratulations. God has chosen you. And as you follow him, you're going to become like God. I have an announcement for 2023. Stop trying to break your addiction. Make God your addiction and he'll break your addiction. Make God your habit. He'll break your habit. Come on. We need to begin to disciple people again. And you know what that means? You never take a class, you take a teacher. Look, I have discipled so many, I can name those now that were in our youth ministry. I wanna tell you, one. I, I at one point had at least five different discipleship groups going with young men in high school and middle school. Years ago, I was preaching at Branded by Fire in Pensacola. They had probably six, 7,000 people. And this young man, he came, he was in his 30s. He said, Pastor Jude, you don't remember me. He said, my name is Ben. And we were in eighth grade, all five of us. And you met us every Tuesday. We'd go to McDonald's and I took him for nine months to a called Operation Timothy. And I just wanna stop right now. I believe there are three relationships every believer needs. Number one, everyone needs a Paul. Who's your Paul? Who's over you? Who's ahead of you that you can follow and become like? Number two, everybody needs a Barnabas. You need someone to encourage you. Last night, Joel and I, we talked to almost midnight. It was like 11. You know what? We were encouraging one another. But you know what? Everyone needs a Timothy. Who's discipling you and who are you discipling? Who's shaping you? Can I say, young people, really, do not be shaped by an influencer on Instagram. They take hundreds of pictures with certain filters, they do not look that good. I have seen them. It's like, oh my gosh, you look like Satan in reality. <laughs> are you with me? You are going to be discipled. 
Someone is going to shape you. Who is it going to be? Who's shaping you and who are you shaping? I want to be discipled. Can you say amen? Now listen to this. This young man comes up. He says, Pastor Jude, you don't remember me. I'm now married. I'm a youth pastor. He said, I am here today. My name's Ben Wagner. You discipled all five of us. And I want you to know all five of those young men are married and they're following Jesus and they're in a local church. Can I say, I want multitudes. Hear me what I'm saying. We are moving from addition in church to multiplication where God is going to take the life of a lad to feed the thousand. And I personally think that Jennifer and Joel are going to be chief disciples of healing the family, the marriage. But Joel, I come, I think we need a new promise keeper movement in this nation. I think Dallas needs some Christian men that are the same on Friday night that they are on Sunday morning. And I think you're going to be the very one to really make the call. We're going to make disciples. We are disciples. We're going to win Dallas through discipleship. Come on. Can you say amen? Okay, everyone say salvation. salvation, say discipleship. Okay, let me tell you something. Oh, yeah, you're, you're discipling. I don't like that. Oh, well, you disciple your children. I'll never forget, I came home, my Jude was probably four years old. He is smart-mouthing my wife. Now, look, on the West Coast, they don't spank their children. They give him tofu and a broccoli and a timeout. Not me, I beat my children. I'm from Louisiana. I'm like Ukraine, Russian, Spanish, and Cajun. I was like, boy, get over here. I'll lay hands on you, and I have a scripture, you know. I kid you not. One day I came home, and that's me. Hey, you think it's something to work for a church? We used to have to dress up to work at a church. I was like, man, I'm so glad. Now we can wear shorts. Thank God. So I'm changing out of my church clothes. And Jude, my oldest, is smart-mouthing my wife. I go, mm-mm. I said, I'm going to lay hands on that boy further down. <laughs> and I'm walking, and I, I'm upset. The Holy Spirit is not a gentleman. He will ask you questions and tell you things. When, isn't it funny? I ask him for information, he becomes silent. When I don't want his information, he's speaking kid you not in my head I'm thinking where did this boy learn this from where did this boy learn this from the Holy Spirit said he learned it from you he goes you are arrogant and you mishandle her and he he said Jude your three sons will not always obey you but they will become just like you so if you fully don't love her they're gonna smart mouth her if you fully don't go after Jesus they will not fully go after Jesus. So as the years we progress and we get computers and smartphones, the one reason I didn't go on pornography, because, it wasn't because I didn't want to hurt Jesus. My wife would have forgiven me. I knew if I chose that, I would be drowning in an ocean of confusion. 
And if they ever got into that, how can I save them if I'm drowning? I think right now in life, the Bible says, woe to the person, the believer in this day that lives and has faith alone. Because when they fall, not if they fall, who will pick them up? It's time for us to go out two by two. We are now being commissioned by the Holy Spirit. Jesus sent the 70 to the multitudes two by two. Why? Because one can chase a thousand, but two can chase 10,000. I want to declare, you know what? I think this church could be 10,000 one day. Come on, we're coming into agreement, we're going to change Dallas. Are you with me on that? Okay. I need to stop preaching. Uh, it says 35, 35 is not moving. When do I end this? Okay, piano player, come back up right now because we got to go eat. It's Texas. I'm getting barbecue. <laughs> Say salvation, discipleship. never regretted being a youth pastor. The hundreds to thousands of them that follow me. I didn't go to prom alone. I don't like going to the movies alone. And I'm not going to heaven alone. I'm bringing as many people as I can with me. And that's why I came to this church. Because this couple, this couple, too many times we use leaders in a local church instead of shaping, protecting, filling, and guiding. Last one, and I don't have any time. It's the sacraments. That makes a Baptist nervous and a Protestant to even say that word. Jesus Christ instituted the sacraments. And just watch me. Don't get scared. Sacraments are not a sign or a symbol. They're a divine, meaning supernatural, God quality, channel for his unearned, undeserved, unmerited grace to flow through the believer. I've been reading John. I think I've read the Gospel of John probably at least 500 times. And I have, I'm starting to have put a lot of it to memory. And I love John 1, verse 1 to 18, because it's the prologue. The prologue is the story before the story. And in those 18 verses, now let me just tell you this, I didn't tell the first service. History says that John the Apostle wrote Revelation, the book, before he wrote the gospel. That John, the son of Zebedee, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and Jesus said, follow me. And immediately they left their nets and their dad and his servant, and they immediately followed Jesus. It's that John that wrote that book. And they say, now listen, Salome, the wife of Zebedee, the mother of John and James, was the aunt of Jesus Christ. So when Salome came to Jesus, hey, it's your aunt. Jesus, come over here. You know I'm your aunt. Boy, I'll slap you. Now, when you come in your kingdom, remember that castle? I want my John and my James to sit on your right and your left. He says, that's not for me to decide, auntie. And that was his aunt. She supported his ministry. That was Jesus's first cousin.
I love John. He's the type of guy, he's kind of like me. I love referring to myself in the third person. I have one contact, so I don't have to put those readers when you get older. You know, start saying, you know, I just have one contact. But sometimes I forget to take it out. So I write myself a note. Dear Pastor Judy, don't forget to take out your contact. Love, Pastor Judy. That's John. Paul says, Romans, Paul, an apostle. All the letters that Mark, we know it was Peter, but it was Mark. Luke, we know it's Luke, not John. How does he refer to himself? Please get it. The apostle or disciple whom Jesus loved. It was his first cousin. But John's revelation of Jesus didn't come from familiar contact. I think the church now needs to get out of a place of familiarity. It's limiting us. And to see Jesus of the book of Revelation, who rules in triumphant overcoming victory in the end of time. That's the Jesus John saw, did you not? Now, here we go. In the beginning, this is John 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and without him, nothing was made that was made. Light shines, light comes into the world, and light shines in the darkness, but the darkness does not come to the light. There was a man sent from God, and his name is Jude, I mean John. And then my favorite verse in that prologue is 14. In the logos, or the word, became flesh, a human being. And... We beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The incarnation is the greatest act of God for all of civilization. Unbelievable. The word logos does not mean word. There are about four or five Greek words for the English word word. One is rhema. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the spoken word, rhema. Another one is spermata, the seed word, Peter. Another one, now the Greek word for word, just words, is where we get graffiti. But the word logos, it actually, I thought, John, why didn't you just make it simple? In the beginning was Jesus, Jesus was with God, Jesus was God. But you see, 400 years before the birth of Christ, during that intertestamental period, you had people like Aristotle, Socrates. Because the universe was so ordered, they felt a divine intelligence had to be behind it. And they called that divine intelligence the logos, that there was a logic behind it all, that this logic being that's what created the universe. And then so 60 years before Jesus was born, a Hebrew Jewish theologian philosopher said, yes, 
we believe in a God, but there's like an angel of the Lord that's really making all this happen. And, and, and it, because this is too logical. And then that's why John said it. He said this, in the beginning was logic. And the logic was with God. And the logic was God. And the logic became a human being. Our world is no longer logical. They're telling us to do this with our children, do that with our life. They've lost their minds. But yet there is a God who is very logical. And in his logic, he decided to become a human being. And I believe what we need in our world today, the sacraments are where our humanity, our humanity is broken. Why do good people get cancer? Why do things happen from diabetes? Why did some people die of COVID and others make it? We have a fallen world with a fallen DNA, but through the sacraments, our God meshes a humanity with his divinity where our lives are elevated. And somehow, Joe, all the mess that came your way in Jennifer, you will see our God is able to work all things together for the good. The logic became a human being. Come on. I can't go into this, but the ancient church fathers, they had seven sacraments. They divided them into three categories. You should write it down. The first column is presence. Your pastor is a presence-driven minister. And when you walk into this church, you say, well, that's a little bit long. Why did you make it 1150? Because we're presence people. You may not know when he leaves, but you sure will know when he shows up. And I think it's time that we stop going through charismatic rituals and not even realize maybe we haven't felt the genuine, authentic moving of the Holy Spirit in a bit. First category, presence, baptism. The Lord's table in confirmation for a catholic confirmation is to confirm your salvation it's the baptism of the holy spirit i'm wondering if we shouldn't have holy spirit night i know some people freak out about the holy spirit they kind of treat him like a weird relative that comes over at thanksgiving once a year we'll have him watch out for that language stuff what was that I don't know what's been happening the last three years. I think a little bit of shun dying may not hurt. I, I need help from another source. So presence, the baptism, the Lord's table, and confirmation. I want to just deal with the Lord's table. It is not just a memory. A memory cannot make you weak, sick, and die prematurely. I believe in the Lord's table by faith as Martin Luther the first protester, Protestant. He called it consubstantiation, con with. The believer takes those elements within. It becomes the very substance of Jesus Christ. Meaning, I'm telling you, when I was first called to be in the ministry, you guys, my family was jacked up. We had murder, we had divorce, we had alcohol, and we would, like I said, we'll cut you. I became a youth pastor, I said, God, you got the wrong guy. I said, we have this in our family tree, that in our family tree. We have generational curses. He said, Jude, when you became my son, my DNA is in you. 
He said, when you receive at the Lord's table, how, can, how is DNA passed on? You couldn't even eat an animal if it had blood. Why? Because life is in the blood. So guess what? When I take the Lord's table, shame hits the wayside. My sin meets the most high. And I walk up. Who wants to be holy? Who wants to be righteous? Who wants to be forgiven? Who wants that reality? Come on, God is not a glamour God. He's a gritty God who came down in humanity that you and I could take on his divinity. And we could do that through the sacraments. Can you say amen? Okay, second category. Everyone say present. The next one is healing. And he comes through reconciliation and the anointing of oil. Reconciliation is just confession. Confession. I know. I was a Catholic. I made my first communion. And before you make your first communion, you make your first confession. I was in first grade at Holy Cross Elementary. I cursed our maid out. I mean, lower than a dog. Mama heard it. Mama hadn't been to confession most of her life. She wasn't a good Catholic. She goes, you! She goes, you have to tell the priest everything you said today. I went into that confessional. He scared me, that guy. I have a big mouth. I'm not like Joel. I wish I was. I wish I could fight. I'd beat all of you up right now. But I can't. Joel will help me. But I have a big mouth. And when I told the priest all those words I said, I mean, they were a lot. You'd be shocked. Walked out. The whole Catholic church was laughing. I sat down by mom. I go, Mama. Why are they laughing? She goes, they heard all of your curse words. Now be quiet. Go take communion. So when I got born again, I thought, I'm not telling anyone but Jesus. You should tell Jesus your sin. And there's a scripture, 1 John 1, 9. When we sin, if we confess our sins, he is faithful, he is just to forgive us and cleanse us. Watch me. Too many of us have confessed the same thing only to stay in a cul-de-sac of defeat. Someone said once, I heard him in a conference, which I thought, this is off. They said, my sin humbles me. Sin doesn't humble us. It humiliates us. Grace humbles us. Grace is getting what you never should have got. But if grace is so powerful, why are some of us still in a cul-de-sac of hell? Maybe we, it's time to go back to confession. And I want to ask, when's the last time you had a good confession? Women are better at this than men. A woman will come to my wife in the church, yeah, my husband is having an affair. And my wife will come, like my mama. I tell her sometimes when she tries to rule my money, rule me, I said, baby, if you're going to be my mama, I can't have sex with you because I can't have sex with my mom. I need you to be my wife, okay? Okay, that's another sermon. Why did I say that? I don't know. I need counseling, geez. When we became empty nesters, Becky and I really started arguing with one another like a bunch of cats from Louisiana. And I would tell our, our elders in our church, but let me tell you how I tell them. I would tell them in a way that it made me look better than I should have looked. And I called that control transparency and it wasn't a vulnerable transparency 
I have a philosophy about having good confession these days. You should counsel down, but you need to confess up. But we like doing the opposite. Just think of Joel and Jennifer, pastors. Really, the music's kind of loud. Really? You need to stop talking about fighting. What are you saying strong enough? What? No, 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 no. You're not to counsel the pastor. You're to counsel your children. You're to counsel someone in your small group. You're to confess. So, I told my local elders, if we got one of those just, just kept going. It was, I don't know, it was like a roundabout from hell. And we weren't exiting. And we loved one another. I haven't committed adultery. I don't look at pornography. We broke. We broke emotionally. She went through cancer. She's 10 years cancer-free. We broke. And I knew what I had to do. Dave Patterson is an outside overseer in our church, and so is Benny Perez. The Lord said, you need to go to confession. At first I thought, you want me to go to the priest? He said, no, call Benny. When I called Benny, I prayed, God, please do not let him answer the phone. He answered on the second ring. God didn't answer that prayer. That's what he said. How's my favorite, Pastor G? I feel like a loser. I just started bawling, and I poured out everything. He asked me some questions, and he prayed for me. Left that call. That wicked, diabolical cycle was broken. I think we need the earthiness of the sacraments to come back and mesh our humanity with his divinity where we are elevated to live in this world. The sacraments are instituted by Christ administered by the church, get this, it could be written down, experienced by the believer, but lived out in the world. I want to live this Christ out who's in me in the world. The last section, I can't even talk about it because time is up. It's evangelization. And the two sacraments are holy orders and holy matrimony. For a Catholic, holy orders, if a man is called to be a priest or a woman to be called to be a nun or an abbot. I want you to begin to think about this. One of my favorite Catholics who's alive today, her name is Amy Coney Barrett. She's from the great state, my home state, Louisiana. She would become a lawyer she was speaking several years ago at Notre Dame's law school graduation. She said, the goal of our lives is not to be a lawyer, but it is, this is straight up from the catechism, it is to know, love, and serve God and extend his kingdom and if we know, love, and serve God, we will truly 
be a different kind of lawyer. And Amy Coney Barrett today sits on the Supreme Court of the United States of America. And I would say, really, we need to ask ourselves, why are you breathing? Before you go to college or as you're in college, you say, why am I here? The day I was born, I know, but I need to discover why I was born. And it's something about receiving a holy call from God. Come on, that it's unshakable. I don't know if my goal is just to be a pastor. My goal is to know, love, and serve God, and somehow I'll be a different type of pastor, a different type of lawyer, a different type of teacher, dancer, singer. Come on, we need to be different. It's through the sacraments. Can you say amen? Will you stand up? My goodness. Barbecue's calling me. Will you shut your eyes just for a minute? There are men in here. This week, you need to have a good confession. Go talk to Pastor Joel, Pastor Adam, one of the, your small group leaders. Today, I'm asking a simple question. To follow Jesus, you have to trust Jesus. I think we've gotten ourselves in trouble because we use this phrase, I believe in God. Well, the devil believes in God. He's not changed. I think we need to shorten it. Simply believe God. Do you believe God? Do you believe God became a man? And that man hung on a cross and he was buried, but yet on the third day, he rose again. And when we say believe, we're not talking about just academically, intellectually believing. Where every cell of your being trusts Jesus Christ. I don't understand some of the things that have happened in my life. But I want you to know, I need to trust him in the times when I don't understand. And so I'm going to ask you on the count of three. If you want to follow Jesus, you have to trust him with all your being, trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and then you will be saved. Amen? So when I count to three, if you need to say, look, it's time. I need to trust God with all that I am. You're going to raise your hand on one. On three, you'll raise your hand. You're going to trust God with everything. Two. On three, right now, three, I want to trust God all my heart. Look at the hands. One, two, three, four, all over, all over. Let's say this prayer. Say, Jesus, forgive me. I trust you with all my heart. I lean not to my mind. I, I acknowledge you in every part of my life. Now, God, do your saving work. And just with your hands lifted all throughout this room, Holy Spirit, I welcome you in this room. I welcome you in this church. That gentle, almost not aware breeze is flowing over hearts, minds, souls. God, we thank you right now. God, their salvation will be sure like they've never known. Father, they will allow someone to mold, shape, to follow. If your marriage is hurting, find someone whose marriage is a little bit better than yours and become their friend. Let them speak into your life. And then most of all, we will feel the beauty of the glory of God becoming a human being through the sacraments. And we will experience the incarnation in our time, in our space, in our world. In Jesus' name, amen.
We pray this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we want to invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the Give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, thanks for listening and have a great week.